this week on the Iowa Watch Connection. We all have pressure to do well in school, to get good grades, to do all the extra things so that we can eventually get a job. Transitioning to life at college is difficult. If we expand the service, the students will fill it. We're seeing a lot more students, but we're still at capacity. And it's especially difficult for those dealing with mental illness. I think the most unfortunate part for us is when we really don't have resources to offer them. The unique challenges faced by students with mental illness. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It's difficult enough for young people dealing with depression, anxiety, or eating disorders to seek care while living in their parents' homes. But the situation can be even more daunting when those young people move away from home and into the major life transition of attending college. And it's far more common than many may think. Iowa Watch's Lily Bolke has our report. The ones people know about are like peer educators. Um. It's a spring day and I'm talking with Mary Rose Bernal in the Spencer Grill at Grinnell College. Bernal, whose 22nd birthday was coming up in June, was getting ready to graduate from Grinnell in May. But we didn't talk about her studies and graduation. Instead, we talked about her work with the Grinnell chapter of the National Alliance for Mental Illness, or NAMI, as well as her personal experience getting treatment for an eating disorder in Iowa. Having been to like a couple of hospitals in Iowa, I can agree that like, yeah, people didn't know what they were doing when it came to something like an eating disorder where it's mostly invisible. Getting and attending college or graduate school can be a major life transition for many students. It can be especially difficult for students with a mental illness who move away from care at home designed to deal with their specific health problem. There are many common mental illnesses in the general population such as anxiety, depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, and many more. These can sometimes add to pressures college and graduate students may already be feeling, trying to do well academically, preparing to get a job once they complete their degrees, and paying off student loans. I talked to Nicole Nitschke, who is 24 years old and recently finished her third year as a medical student at the University of Iowa's College of Medicine. She too is involved with the National Alliance for Mental Illness, as co-president of the college's chapter. And I would think very similarly to undergrads, uh, you know, we all have pressure to do well in school, to get good grades, to do all the extra things so that we can eventually get a job. Um, And so all that stuff still carries over to medical or any graduate school. I spoke with Marcy Shrum, who is the vice president of the board at the Eating Disorder Coalition of Iowa, as well as a social worker. She told me many limitations exist when getting treatment for eating disorders in Iowa. Like I said, we get calls from all kinds of people that are looking for resources. And I mean, I think the most unfortunate part for for us is when we really don't have resources to offer them. We can say, well, unfortunately, you know, you need treatment or your daughter or your son needs treatment. But there isn't, I mean, you can go to the University of Iowa if they're at a place where they're medically in need and you can get some treatment there, um, but you're going to need to work hard to find a team back here that, you know, is adequate and that can help you guys continue to manage it. Bernal said she personally felt these limitations, going to the Grinnell Regional Medical Center first when she needed treatment in December of 2015, her first year at Grinnell. 
she was transferred to University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, which is a short-term treatment center in Iowa City, 70 miles away. She said she found that almost none of the professionals she saw actually saw anything wrong with her. They took my vitals um, a couple of times through the day, uh, took urine samples, um, couldn't see anything wrong with me. Uh, had, it's a teaching hospital, so they had the whole round of like a thousand people talking and me going through the story every single time. Um, so finally I talked to a cardiologist who was like, hmm, yeah, I've seen eating disorders before and this doesn't look like you're in a good spot. And I was like, yeah, right now. Additional barriers to healthcare can exist for other mental illness. Interviews for the story revealed like limited statewide resources, limited college resources, and stigmas surrounding mental illness in general. Many colleges and universities in Iowa have student health centers with counseling options available, but sometimes there are more students who seek counseling than counselors. Barry Schreier, the University of Iowa Counseling Services Director, says the U of I's Counseling Center staff has almost doubled in the last four years. If we expand the service, the students will fill it. We're seeing a lot more students, but we're still we're still at capacity. Grinnell College has between 4.0 and 5.0 full-time equivalency staffing hours for counselors on weekdays. Eric Wood, who was Grinnell's Dean of Wellness until the end of April, said the office was hearing that community provider schedules were getting full in mid-March. Available counseling, he said, depends on the time of year. Declan Jones, who finished his second year at the college in May, went to the college's health and wellness center in March of this year, seeking help with stress and anxiety. He says that after expressing what he was hoping to get out of counseling, he was told that the center was at capacity and couldn't take him. He says the center's workers told him about some other available options for getting help, a 24-7 counseling hotline and group therapy options. However, he said that neither of those fit his needs and that he might be hesitant to seek counseling at the health and wellness office in the future. Seeing if they're at capacity, I feel uh, I would I would have some self resentment if I like took up some of that resource pool. Right. If I'm not like crisis, which I get the impression now that you need to be in order to receive therapy. For some students, the stigma surrounding mental illness can prevent them from even trying to make an appointment. Barry Schreier from the U of I Counseling Services said his office works to provide multicultural awareness because the model of sit down therapy sessions pre scheduled does not work for everyone. He said they also have multilingual counselors. Sometimes, again, setting up a whole full appointment for some folks from certain cultures, you know, the perception is going to see a mental health professional means that you are, and I'll just to use this language, because I've heard it from our, some of our international students, means that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not crazy, I'm just having a concern I need to talk to someone about. And Iowa Watch reporter Lily Bolke spoke about her series of reports on this topic with Lyle Muller the executive director and editor of Iowa Watch. Lily, where did the idea for your story come from? Um, Well, I was thinking a lot about um, mental health and public health and other things like that. And I was thinking about the fact that students who go to college are only there for four years. And it seems like things like counseling and, you know, psychiatrists and things like that might be hard to move from professional to professional. So I wanted to see if that was true and um, look into other things related to that. And I found some really interesting stuff about, you know, the level of care that's available for mental health and mental illness in Iowa. How were you able to get people to talk to you about this? This is a pretty personal matter. Yeah. um, 
I was, I thought a lot about that. I reached out to people at um, the National Alliance for Mental Health, people who were a part of chapters at different schools. Um, and I found that going through that way and then just asking questions about what they did at NAMI, some people would sort of bring it up on their own, say, well, I joined NAMI because I have this, you know, mental, I had this mental health concern that I wanted support for, and then they were willing to tell me about it. Um, and I also posted on, on a Facebook group, a, face, a Grinnell College Facebook group, say, asking if anybody was interest, had any experiences um, trying to get mental health care at the college and if they'd want to talk to me about that. And I got a couple of responses. So um, it was a little bit tougher just because it is a very personal topic and I didn't want to like approach people and make people uncomfortable if that was something that they might not want to talk about. Um, but I found workarounds that ended up pr providing me with some good sources. And you've been based in Grinnell, but you did also reach out to other campuses to some other places. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I reached out to one of the other Iowa Watch interns at Cornell College, um, but he didn't have a Facebook group that he knew of that he could maybe like post in the way that I did at Cornell. Um, and then I also reached out to one of the Iowa Watch interns at Iowa State, um, but it was sort of the same situation. Um, I did talk to somebody from the University of Iowa's College of Medicine who was from one of the NAMI chapters, and I got in touch with her that way, and that was really great. Um, but it was more challenging to find people from places that I wasn't as connected to as Grinnell. What were some of the biggest challenges then as you were trying to put this story together? Um, I think I wanted to have more, um, I wanted to talk to more students who were dealing with mental illness, um, but again, it was just you know, it's very personal, and so I didn't want to push it um, with people who didn't sort of offer their experiences. Um, I also found that a lot of people at this time of year were very busy, um, especially people working at colleges because it's the end of the year. So when I was trying to get in touch with my school's, Grinnell's Student Health and Wellness Center, I couldn't get a second interview with them because they were just too busy. Um, and just, you know, generally people who work for colleges and universities seem to have very tight schedules. Um, so just finding times to talk to people and, you know, getting them to actually pick up the phone and things like that were probably the biggest challenges. Despite the fact that this is a personal issue, did you find that there are people who say there is a public matter here that needs to be dealt with when it comes to mental illness and dealing with it in college? Definitely. I mean, the people I talked to, they, they all felt like, you know, um, their schools and their communities were doing something um, to try and improve mental health and on campus and elsewhere. But they all sort of recognized that there are a lot of steps that still need to be taken. And so in order for that to happen, people need to be made aware of the problems that people are having. So I think in that way, it is very public because we do need, you know, funding and resources and more psychologists and psychiatrists to make some of those improvements that um, these people sort of expressed were needed. What are the main points you think people should pay attention to in this story? Yeah, I think probably the main the main points I would say are that there are really limited resources for certain specialized mental illnesses. So. Um, like eating disorders, there's only one inpatient treatment facility in Iowa, and that's that's um, probably a big point. Um, also, 
just, you know, there is definitely a stigma around mental illness, um, whether that's, you know, due to things related to masculinity or things related to people's backgrounds or how their families interpret mental illness. Um, And yeah, just recognizing that that stigma is there, but despite that, a lot of people still do have mental illness and need help. So how to, um, just thinking about how to bridge that gap between the stigma and actual, actually getting care. Lily Bolke was educated at Grinnell College and remained with Iowa Watch after a summer 2018 internship for special reporting projects like this. She spoke with Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller. When we come back, we'll talk with a mental health professional about what's different these days and what many of us don't understand about the issue. That's next, when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Dr. Warren Phillips is a senior lecturer in the psychology department at Iowa State University. He has a clinical practice in Ames and is president of the Iowa Psychological Association. Do you find in your experience that there are more individuals either in need of or seeking assistance than might have been the case 15 or 20 years ago? Uh, yes, I, I do believe that there, uh, the, the need for services, the mental health issues that are happening, you know, whether it's on college campuses or in the general public, um, have definitely increased over time. You know, there's a, there are a lot more stressors now and more unique kinds of stressors going on right now than I think that there were, say, 25, 30 years ago. And it certainly affects... I think the general public, but also affects our college students as well on our, our college campuses. One of the big differences, of course, in the, between the past and current is um, the impact of, of social media and social media platforms. And you know, I don't want to be one of these people who you know, basically says social, you know, all social media is bad because it's not. You know, there are some real positive things that come from social media. There are some ways that you know people are able to stay in touch with friends and others that you know would have been perhaps more difficult in the past. However, um, when we look at a variety of issues around social media itself, one of the things that we see is that 
there's actually a lot of disconnection um, that occurs because of it. For example, we know that you know, one of the things that happens, and I see this in adolescents and young adults all the time, is very often when people post things on social media, the things they're posting are uh, very positive. Uh, you know, positive connections, they're posting when they're together with friends and when they're celebrating and doing those things, which lends itself to kind of a, a biased view if you look at social media. Um, you know, if I'm somebody who is feeling alone and isolated and I look on social media, I may not find a lot of quick and easy support um, for that in the things that people are posting because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing sort of this skewed reality. That's just one example. Um, and, of course, social media also, just like texting and emails, you know, misses all the nonverbals. We don't see facial expressions. We don't hear intonation. We don't hear inflection. Um, we don't see gestures, which are a huge part of communication, and all of that is removed from you know, a lot of the written communication we see through texting or even on social media. And there's other issues as well, but those are uh, I mean, some of the stressors. Uh, I, I think the other thing, and you know, I'm in my 50s, I was just talking about this the other day, you know, when I was a, a child and a teenager, um, when I talked to a friend or somebody on the phone, it was a phone that was attached to the wall, and if they called and I wasn't home, you know, there was a message, and you know, I might call back or I might not call back, depending on how it works. You know, that's all very different now. Um, and that's the case not just for college students, but for all of us. I mean, we are all connected almost 24-7. I mean, people can reach us anywhere at any time. And while I don't want to say that these factors, you know, changes in technology and social media are the primary factors that have led to you know, some of the increased stress, they are part of the picture. We certainly see economic pressures um, as well. We see the increased need uh, over the you know over the decades for getting advanced degrees and you know higher levels of education, more competition in the workplace. So that, I mean, there's numerous stresses. You know, we see issues around um, the environment and all the discussion that you're seeing around global warming. I think that increases the anxiety, in particular, of lots and lots of people. So there's, there are many, many stressors happening that I think are are part of the influence. A number of things you said just now are fascinating to me, and and they all do come back to this level of information and connectedness and we know so much more if we avail ourselves of it about things happening to our friends to our neighbors to our world it does appear overwhelming just from a volume standpoint and to your other point about if you go to facebook people are always talking about wonderful happy things it's sort of like i've termed it a the stereotypical christmas letter 12 months a year where it's always positive. When you get someone's Christmas letter, they rarely tell you about the failures of little Johnny or little Susie. And it does give a disproportionate sense of reality that I suppose if someone internalizes it, that may affect their self-worth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that certainly can and does happen. And while I don't think it affects everyone that way, it, it certainly is a, can be a risk factor for folks that are perhaps already struggling with self-worth and a negative view of self. Based upon your experience, 
what is the largest misconception that people in the general public have? What is it that, that people don't understand that you would like them to understand? I think one of the biggest sort of myths or, or issues that oftentimes gets in the way, unfortunately, of people seeking services is you know, the stigma around mental health, honestly. Unfortunately, to this day, I think many people still sort of view mental health issues, mental health um, problems, struggles, as though, you know, these are people who are weak in some fashion, or these are people who, you know, are very different from me, when in fact, that's not the case. I mean, it, one in five um, Americans are struggling with a mental health issue. You know, these are, these are people, these are our neighbors, these are our family members, it's our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, our grandparents. These are people like you and me. We all may be struggling with, you know, a mental health issue. I mean, any one of us could be struggling with a mental health issue at some point in our lives. And it is absolutely not a sign of, of weakness. It's not a sign of not being able to handle stress or not being able to handle our emotions. Um, and in fact, um, one of the things that I consistently tell people is that developing self-awareness and self-management and self-direction kinds of skills and focusing on, you know, facing and working through the struggles that we're having, seeking help to learn skills and practice those skills to work through mental health issues that we're struggling with, learn how to manage them. There's no weakness in that. That requires strength. That requires courage. And so, you know, those of us, you know, in the public, People in the public, people in the world who are seeking mental health services are strong, courageous individuals who are looking to improve their lives and the lives of really everyone in the community. So, I, I mean, I think that's really important for people to understand. Dr. Warren Phillips, a senior lecturer in the psychology department at Iowa State University and president of the Iowa Psychological Association. We spoke in late May 2019. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.